Psalm 67. Psalm 67. In the Black Pew Bibles, if you're using those, this psalm can be found on page 450. If you're not used to using a Bible or if you've never owned a Bible, please take this Bible home as our gift to you. Psalm 67 is a psalm that has very personal memories for me. Sometimes when we've been in this psalm series, I will admit, I've read these psalms, read all of the Bible, but some of them I've not studied in depth. Last week, Psalm 66, two weeks ago, Christmas Day, Psalm 65, that was probably the first time I've really taught through those psalms. Psalm 67, not true. This is a personal favorite of mine. I've actually preached this multiple times to Embassy Church. So, as a way of wetting the appetite for what you're about to receive from God's word, let me tell you that I plan to conclude this message by telling you how this psalm is the reason why I am a pastor of Embassy Church. This psalm has shaped the way I parent my children. And this psalm is why Embassy Church exists. It's very personal. Why I'm a pastor. Why I'm a pastor here in Palatine. Why I do what I do for parenting. And why I think we exist as a church. Hope that's enough reason for you to want to pay attention. Do whatever you need to do to stay awake. Maybe open up a Bible and see, is this all about Pastor Phil? To be determined. Psalm 67, to the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Selah. That your way may be known on earth. Your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. And that concludes our reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. My prayer is that he will do something similar, if not greater, through Psalm 67 than what I'm about to share that he's done to me. But first, Psalm 67. Big idea, simple, short, big idea. God gives his people a prayer so that his plan will prosper. God gives his people a prayer so that his plan will prosper. 
I'm going to take this into three parts. What's the prayer that God gives his people? Part one. What's the plan that God has? Part two. How does God's plan prosper? Part three. God gives his people a prayer. First, part one. What is the prayer that God gives his people? Verse one. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Selah. Pause. Maybe a musical interlude. We need to wait before we move on from this first verse. That's what most people think the Selah means. Some kind of musical term or break or encouragement to meditate. So we will do just that right now. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. God be gracious to us. Bless us. Make his face shine upon us. Does that sound familiar to any of you? It should. Not just Psalm 67. I have read these words to you. The key verbs, the key terms. It's a common benediction that I give as I conclude the service of embassy through the last nine years. It comes from Numbers chapter 6. It's one of the most commonly repeated prayers by the people of God for thousands of years. This is what I mean by God gives his people a prayer. This prayer was given to God, to Moses, by God in Numbers chapter 6 to teach Moses and Aaron how to pray for their people. The parallel idea for some of you that are less familiar with the Old Testament would be the New Testament prayer given to us by Jesus Christ. The Lord's Prayer. My guess is some of you grew up in traditions that have actually recited in corporate worship. We've done it here at Embassy as well. The Lord's Prayer. A prayer that God gives. A prayer that God commands. And then God's people pray again and again. That's what Psalm 67 is referring to. In fact, how about for the sake of illustration, we do that. Why don't we pray collectively, all eyes open, out loud, recite together. The Lord's Prayer. I'm using the ESV version. If you use the old King James and your words are a little different, that's fine. Let's just pray together. It means the same thing. Ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen? Amen. I did that because I assumed that some of you have had that experience before today. That's the parallel of the Old Testament text that's referred to in verse 1 of our psalm. A prayer, the words of the prayer, given by God himself to his people and encouraging and commanding them, pray this prayer. These words. I don't think it's limited to just those words. I don't think that we should only recite the Lord's Prayer over and over again. But it's a great place to start. 
One of my favorite things to do with a new believer is to sit them down and say, hey, how do you pray? You know, a great thing to do is just actually repeat the Lord's Prayer over and over again until you memorize it. Start with that. Let's think about one aspect of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 that I believe actually relates to Psalm 67. It's the line where Jesus encourages us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. In other words, I think we could say it this way. I don't think that this is manipulating the scriptures, just saying the same thing in a different way. God in heaven, bless us this day with bread. Now look back at Psalm 67. Look at verse 6. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, bless us. I believe actually that this is a prayer. There's differences on how to translate it. My take is that verse 6 is a prayer. God, bless us. Bless us with a yielded increase of the land, of the harvest. Bread. Do you see the connection that I'm making between a prayer that you've heard a hundred times, thousand times, a million times? Give us this day our daily bread. Bless us with bread. Psalm 67, in more or less ways, is praying, God, bless us with bread. Be gracious to me. Make your face shine upon me. But I, I'm not just or simply or only asking for spiritual warmth in my heart. I'm praying for blessing to filter down into the land so I have food to eat. God's blessing is directly tied to Yielding an increase, true or false, according to Psalm 67. Answer, true. God's blessing in Psalm 67 is tied to bread, land, yielding increase, and a harvest. True or false, God gave Moses the prayer that shapes all of Psalm 67, teaching his people to pray over the people of Israel with this blessing. True or false? Again, true. Read Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 and following. Finally, true or false, Jesus Christ also teaches his New Testament disciples to pray practically for daily bread. True or false, church? True. So, I ask you, should we pray for God to bless us practically, materially, with bread? with land that yields its increase? Yes or no? Answer? Yes, you should. Absolutely you should. It is not only biblical, it is commanded and modeled by God in the Old Testament, the priests, and then the Lord Jesus Christ, the high priest of all believers here. I believe every day, daily bread, we should be praying for God's blessing for our personal lives, for our families, for our church. Oh God, bless us. Bless Embassy Church. Bless me, Pastor Phil. Bless the Howell family. Make 2023 a fruitful, productive year. We're asking for your blessing. We want our hearts to be happy. We want our stomachs to be satisfied. We want our finances to be full. We want healing to our health and fitness to our flesh. We want relationships to be reconciled, spouses to be sweet. We want work to be worthwhile. We want suffering 
to be slight. Yes? Amen? Or are some of you kind of uncomfortable about that prayer? Any hearty amens just off the bat? Amen? Some of you. I don't know. Amen to that. 2023, come on. Bring the blessing, Lord. Bless us, God. Give us our daily bed. Provide for us all that we need. Amen? All right, let's go home. Should we close the sermon there? Should we stop the praying like that? Well, what happens if we do? What if we decide to pick and choose the parts of the Bible we like and only apply them and pray them in the way that we think is best? I think many of you already know what would happen if the sermon stopped right there. We would become self-centered, narcissistic, health, wealth, and prosperity heretics. If that was the steady diet of embassy, if that's all you heard was verse 1, and blessing and blessing and blessing, bless us. As J.I. Packer said, a half-truth that masquerades like the whole truth becomes a complete untruth. There is a reason why the big idea says what it does, because it reflects the big idea of Psalm 67. God gives his people a prayer. You should pray it. That's not the end of the big idea. God gives his people a prayer so that his plan will prosper. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Selah. Verse 2. That, that, so that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Bless us, yes, all the things I prayed. Bless us financially, with health. Bless us with prosperous, fruitful, reconciled relationships, sweet spouses. Amen. Bless us. So that there's a reason for praying the prayer that God gives. Point two. What's the plan then? So that his plan would prosper. So that his plan would prosper. Pray for blessing because of his plan. What's the plan? In other words, what's the message of the whole Bible? You've heard me say this before, but it's worth repeating. Is the message of the whole Bible, God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. But because of sin, we do not experience the goodness of that wonderful plan. But thanks be to God, Jesus Christ died on the cross, the God-man substituting himself for us to take away our sins so that we will have God's wonderful plan restored. Brothers and sisters, this summary of the Christian faith is true and incomplete. If that is the complete message of the Christian faith, 
Then I ask you, who would be the supreme object of God's love according to that summary? Let me say it again. God loves me and has a wonderful plan for me. And he died for me, for my plan. If we only say that God loves me and that Christ died for me, then we become the direct object of the message of God's plan. The church is not about me. The plan is not about you. We don't come to church because the music fits our preferences. We don't leave a church because specific ministry needs aren't exactly what I want for my family. The message of Christianity does not center about what you and I think is best or makes us most comfortable. God does love me, but not period, full stop, end of message, go home. God loves me, comma, because, so that, it fulfills his greater plan. So on the basis of Psalm 67 and the rest of God's word, I declare to you today, the message of the Bible and the plan of God is God loves us. He wants to bless us so that his grace and that his saving power would be known among all nations. Amen? Now, on the authority and the basis of God's word in Psalm 67, who becomes the object of Christianity and the message of the Bible? Who's the object now? Not me. God. Christianity is and always will be, no matter what we do, it will be about him, for him, through him, to him, all things. God's plan is to bless us, as verse 2 says, that, so that his name and his glory would be known among all peoples, it's not hard to see the logic of verse 1 and then the rest of the psalm is about that point. Now some of you, if you're wise and discerning and listening carefully, you may start to think deeply about this and the things that I have just said and you may wonder ethically, is there something wrong with God's plan? It kind of sounds like God has an ulterior motive for blessing us a higher or greater purpose. Brothers and sisters, let me be crystal clear here. That is not what I am saying. I am not saying that God has an ulterior motive for blessing and loving you. That's what Psalm 67 is saying. That's what God's word says. God loves you. And he wants to save you with his saving power for a purpose. He has a plan. And that plan was read to us by Shannon from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. In other words, this psalm begins this way. Quotes numbers 6. Bless us. Have your face shine upon us. We want you, God. We want the blessing and all that your presence brings, which includes bread, land, increase, harvest. We want it. God, bring it. Selah. But that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the plan. So that, then it's a 
rough quotation, not word for word, but the idea of Shannon's scripture reading, Genesis 12, 1, 2, and 3. Read verse 2 and then read Genesis 12 again later this afternoon and see the parallel that God chooses to bless Abram. Five times it says, bless, 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 bless Abram so that through you all the, the families and nations of the earth will be blessed. That's the logic of God's plan. That's the logic of Psalm 67. I think it's fair to say that Psalm 67 is an extended poetic meditation on the combination of Numbers 6, blessing by the priest, and Genesis chapter 12, 1, 2, and 3. But as I, I studied deeper, I, I looked closer, I actually thought, we don't even need Genesis. I mean, we do. We don't need it at all. But if you just know the quote from Numbers chapter 6, you will know that after the priest stands up, raises his hands, and blesses the people and says, may God bless you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. When he's done praying that prayer, Number six says this. So then, they shall put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. The reason for the blessing is so that the people have God's name on them and represents God himself for the sake of the nations. Look at our psalm once more and, and think about it this way. When the nations of the earth... See verse 2, his way and his saving power. When the peoples see and know his way and his saving power, God gets praise. Bless Israel by saving them so that everyone will see your saving power. Verse 4, when they see you judge Israel with fairness and equity, they will see that you're not just the God of Israel. You're the God of all peoples all over the earth, and you're the fair, righteous, and just judge. Furthermore, verse 4, when they see God guide Israel through the wilderness, even though they rebel against him, and they complain, and they whine, and they moan, and they're sinners, but he still guides them into lands of prosperous blessing. When they see that kind of grace and justice Meet in the presence of God, the nations will exult. When the nations see the harvest increase based upon the blessing that God has given and related to the covenant of obedience, we obey, we get blessed. That's the logic of Psalm 67. Then the peoples will praise him. Then the nations will be glad. Then they will sing for joy. This is not just about Israel's happiness. It is about Israel's happiness and blessing. The word blessed in Hebrew, when it's a noun, it means happy. Gladness. Isn't gladness and joy not just a side fringe idea, but actually the center of the psalm? Well, yes. Literally, quite literally. The psalm begins in verses 1 and 2, talking about blessing. And then it moves to this refrain, let the peoples praise you, God, let the peoples praise you. 
And then the middle of our psalm is verse 4, which says, So let the nations be glad and sing for joy. May they be happy because of you revealing yourself through your people. And then notice the refrain, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. And then it ends with blessing. Blessing, praise, gladness. Praise, blessing. It's the whole point of the psalm. Verse 4, joy, happiness. For Israel, yes, but not just for Israel. That the happiness of being in the presence of God and receiving his blessing will spill over to all nations. That's the plan. God has given a prayer so that his plan of joy and gladness for everyone on the earth would prosper. I wonder if any of you have rejected the Christian faith or struggled with the Christian faith because you think that your pursuit of joy is at odds with God's plan. More on that in just one second. Point three, how? How does Psalm 67 occur? When does it become fulfilled? Is God's plan still in motion? Are we still waiting for it? God gave a prayer to his people so that his plan would prosper. Has it? Has it been answered? Has it prospered? That's what part three is all about. Thankfully, you've already heard one great summary answer when Ed came up and read for us Luke chapter 24. Jesus Christ, the representative high priest of all of God's people, but first and foremost with the people of Israel, he comes as the sacrificial substitute. He dies on a cross, lives the life you and I should have lived. God sent forth his son, Jesus Christ, To live the life you and I should have lived in full obedience. And obedience in the Old Testament equals blessing. Jesus' obedience, though, received the curse of hanging on a tree. He did not receive the shining face of the Father from heaven. He received the back of God turning his face from the Son and complete darkness from heaven washed over the earth when Jesus hung on a cross and died. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And if you read carefully Galatians 3, you will connect the dots that what I'm saying to you right now is actually a fulfillment of the gospel preached to us through the book of Genesis. Read again for homework, Galatians 3, the cursing of Jesus on the cross as the fulfillment of God's plan to bless the nations as it was promised to Abram. But Luke 24 has a all-encompassing fulfillment of Psalm 67 that is glorious. Jesus says, after rising from the dead, not just being a curse on the cross, but rising from the dead, he said to his disciples right before he ascends into heaven, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms and Psalm 67 must be fulfilled. And right then and there, they had a Bible study like none other. He opened 
their minds to understand the Old Testament scriptures. Law of Moses, first five books. Prophets, the next major section of the Hebrew Bible. Psalms, last and third final section of the Bible. He walked through the whole Bible and said, it's about me. Psalm 67, when you get to it, it says, bless the people of Israel so that the saving power of God would be known among all nations. I just did that. That's the kind of Bible study they had in this room. And then notice what Jesus says in verse 46. This is Psalm, I mean, Luke 24. Ed read to us earlier. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Do you you guys see what I'm seeing? Jesus Christ dies on the cross, rises again from the dead, and appears before his disciples, walks through the whole Old Testament, says the Psalms must be fulfilled, and I fulfilled them. Therefore, repentance of sins and the gospel of Jesus Christ will be proclaimed to all the nations, and it'll start with Jerusalem. You're witness of these things, and I will fill you with power from on high so that you will fulfill them yourself. But that's not where our connection with Luke 24 and Psalm 67 ends. Verse 50. And then Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands. Now these are the moments where some of you might be like, "Mm, I don't know, Pastor Phil, really? Yes, really. Careful readers of Scripture. People that hear the same thing over and over and over again for hundreds and thousands of years would catch the subtle way that Luke is alerting to us. The raising of hands and then it says, he blessed them. You should be picturing Numbers chapter 6. The priest of Aaron raising his hands over the people of Israel and I believe not with 100% certainty, but like 99% certainty that Jesus Christ in this moment, risen from the dead, stands before the earth and says, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed as you preach the gospel of forgiveness of sins to all nations. So may God be gracious to you. May God bless you. May his face and his countenance shine upon you. And just think, as he sang that, the literal face of God is standing before them. And so they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with joy. Joy. Blessing, bless you, equals joy for them, joy for the nations. Isn't this remarkable? Let's conclude. Why am I a pastor? Why do I parent the way I do? And why do we exist as a church? Psalm 67 has given us that and so, so much more. First, why am I a pastor? Because a man named John Piper, when I was 19 years old, introduced to me the idea that my pursuit of joy is not at odds with God's plan for glory. Some of you maybe think that if I obey Jesus Christ 
and follow the teaching of Scripture, I will be choosing a lesser joy. In my late teens, early 20s, God graciously blessed me with the gift of John Piper for the sake of teaching me those two things are not at odds. They are in fact one and the same. And that if you want to pursue supreme joy, then you need to pursue supreme joy by submitting yourself to the plans of God, which is the glory of God. I would love if you would like me to just talk longer and longer for hours in a private conversation explaining how that worked out in my life, how that can work out in your life. It is dynamite for personal transformation. And when that dynamite exploded, I wanted nothing to do with the glory of being the star basketball player at my college. I quit basketball. I pursued ministry. I took a job. I married my girlfriend. I had a kid. And I started pursuing ministry from that point forward. And here I am as your pastor. I don't credit John Piper only. He was a servant. I credit that he opened my eyes to the explosive truth of Psalm 67. God's plan is my joy. I don't have to choose between obeying God and, and joy. I have only seen for decades now that my joy increases when I submit to God's plan. And that my fleeting, foolish thoughts about what would bring me true joy and lasting happiness, like basketball, like fame, like popularity, like prestige, like having a chip on my shoulder, like I know everything? Oh, was that helpful to be crushed and a new vision for life given. And I wanted nothing else but to teach people the joy that is before them in the scriptures if they would just see the beautiful plan of God that culminates in the beauty of Christ. Secondly, parenting. This all happened at the same time. I, I had a baby, my wife did, but, but we had a baby, like right at the same time. And when these truths came together, it then made me think, how does this shape what we're doing in the home? Some of you, you many of you are parents. But I give this as an illustration to know that like, this is not just about parenting. This is about shaping your life. So, for example, a study that came out in 2008. In the city of New York, on families and children, looking at the trends that happen by families that make between $75,000 and $160,000. And this is 2008. Inflation's only increased, so like, it's a decent bit of money. Some of you are like, I'll take that. Sign me up. These families in New York, well-paid professionals, had for their children complete financial security. The children experienced ex excessive freedom to learn and explore and a provision of every wide range of interesting opportunities for entertainment, education, and recreation. Pause. How many of you are like, yes, sign me up and my kids for $75,000 a year to $160,000 a 
salary, and let my kids have complete financial security, excessive freedom to learn and explore, and a provision of every kind of interesting opportunity for entertainment, education, recreation. That is the showered blessings of the American dream all over. Isn't it? Isn't that what so many of us want? And this is what the non-Christian secular study in New York City said. The trend we're noticing often is that these circumstances lead to laziness, apathy, the inability to commit to goals, attitudes of entitlement, indecisiveness, moodiness, irritability without provocation. Hmm. Any parents thinking about irritability, entitlement, indecisiveness, moodiness, low self-confidence, and insecurity amongst those families, and less so amongst those with less. I hope you see where this is going. Piling your kids high with blessings and affirmations without leading and shepherding them to then serve and give and be a blessing to others will lead them to sit like water and stink. Therefore, I decided very early on, I was getting choked up reading that passage. I don't know if you realized why or that I did, but I did because this is personal. This has shaped the last 17 years of married life and family life in the Howell home. And I want you to keep my kids accountable that they will not leave my home without getting this message. And it's this. Ellie, I love you. Grace, I love you. But do you know who loves you the most? It's Jesus. Jesus loves you the most. Night after night after night, I say these words. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. May he give you one day a family that loves Jesus Christ. May he give you a heart that loves him and a mind that knows him. So that his name would be known among all the nations. At first, I would only do the first part. But then I realized the last part is kind of important. So kids, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. Eva, I love you. Jesus loves you more. And I want God to shower you with blessing so that his name would be known among all the nations. I don't want you to stink. I don't want you to be like a cul-de-sac where the blessings stop like a dead end. I want them to flow through your life, pour down the blessing, but not for your sake, for his. 
And I promise you that when that prayer is answered, it will give you supreme joy. The greatest joy that's ever walked this earth is the man who gave everything that he had and didn't save it for himself. That's the gospel. That's love defined. That's the plan that prospers. Embassy Church, we exist to make disciples of all nations. We exist to glorify Jesus Christ by making disciples of all nations. That was not made up by me. I hope you realize it comes straight from the Bible, but if you sum it up, this church exists for the glory of Jesus Christ, and we do that by making disciples, and we do that to the ends of all nations. And thankfully, Christine and I, over 10 plus years ago, not by ourselves, but several of you in this room, even before Embassy existed, were praying and asking for God to start a church in a metropolitan area, specifically this one, Chicago. And God's prayers were answered for blessing of a congregation of people that would be in a multiculturally, multi-ethnic, diverse community so that the nations would be reflected not just by us sending money and dollars to the nations, but so that they would be with us and among us. And to give you a little story that so warmed my heart, we had not even had 10 worship services. And a Judson College student that had never walked into the door of a Christian church in his life was an exchange student from overseas, growing up in a mostly unreached people group, walks into Embassy Church and hears the gospel. I don't know where his soul is at. I know he's heard the gospel many times by us and other people, but that is exactly why we exist. To gather together, to receive the blessing of God's word and the gospel, but also to invite and go out, not just across the sea, but across the street. So I hope that Tyler Jones will be swamped with people who say, I am willing to serve with the Rand Grove Outreach. I may not be able to fit availability with schedule, but I just want you to know, Tyler, you're now the new point person for an outreach in a lower income housing project that is filled with refugees from overseas coming here on our doorstep in Palatine. The idea of going to the nations is not a choice between sending dollars and missionaries out and serving our local community. My family moved from the Washington, D.C. area to the Palatine area to do this. We're praying that God would bless us and be gracious to us so that his saving power would be known in Palatine. But that's also why we give money in the budget for his saving power to be known in Dubai and in the Middle East and in the work that multiplies all over the earth. Brothers and sisters, respond accordingly. Let's pray now for God's blessing. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word. Psalm 67 is a beautiful, helpful, clarifying, convicting word, and we thank you for it. 
We thank you for the ways that in my own personal life, as Psalm 66 said last week, very personally, you hear our prayers individually. And we should go around and tell everybody what you've done in our lives. So I pray that the sharing of the testimony of how Psalm 67 has shaped my career, my hopes and dreams, how Psalm 67 has shaped my parenting, how I want it to shape this church. I pray, God, that you would do something of multiplying the work you've done in my heart and in the hearts of so many others that I know wholeheartedly believe and affirm these things. I pray for those that are here today and they're having objections to the beauty of the gospel. They're having questions about whether or not this God is good. Oh, Lord, I pray that in your time and in your way, you will reveal to each person here how your plan is for our joy that terminates in you getting glory. Make that clear. Illumine our minds so we can just understand it, but then shape our hearts so we can live like this is true. Oh God, that's our prayer of thanks and our prayer of petition. We offer them now in Jesus' name. Amen.